This is the Digital Savage Experience Podcast, hosted by Roman Prokopchuk, bringing you all things digital marketing, tech, business, and motivation. What's stopping you from becoming relentless in all aspects of life? Are you ready to become a digital savage? Let's get into today's episode. Hey everyone, this is Roman Prokopchuk and this is the Digital Savage Experience Podcast. Today I have with me Rachel Richards. Rachel quit her job at 27 and retired living off of $15,000 per month in passive income. Rachel is the best-selling author of Money Honey and Passive Income Aggressive Retirement. Thank you for joining me today. Thanks for having me on, Roman. My pleasure. So tell me a little bit about your journey. How did you get to where you are now? Obviously, to, you know, writing the books as well as, you know, moving into retirement at such a young age with passive income. Yeah, so I've been a finance nerd my entire life, even at a young age. So I've always read a bunch of books. I've been an avid reader and learner. And I always knew I wanted to start investing in real estate. To me, it's one of the best tools for building long-term wealth and for building passive income. So I thought that was kind of my key to early retirement. So in 2017, um, before 2017, we didn't have any passive income. My husband and I were working full-time, didn't really have anything going for us. That year, though, we bought our first rental property. We bought a duplex in Louisville, Kentucky. And then later that year, I published my first best-selling book, Money Honey. So we had these two passive income streams, the rental income and the royalty income. And we focused on growing those as much as we possibly could over the next few years. Fast forward to today, we now own almost 40 rental units, like 40 doors. Um, I now have two best-selling books. The rental income brings in anywhere from eight to 10 grand a month in profit. And my book royalties bring in about five grand a month in profit. We have four or five passive income streams now, but those are the two big ones. So that's kind of my high level story of how I achieved early retirement. Now is kind of uh, the financial sector as well as kind of real estate investment. Was that something that you thought of back in, in college or as you were younger? Or is it something that, you know, you kind of learned about in, in, dove into and learned more about and then ran with it? So I've always been interested in finance particularly. Actually, one of my earliest memories was in sixth grade and I found this book. It was Motley Fool's Guide for Teens, How to Have More Money Than Your Parents Ever Dreamed Of, something like that. I was like, that sounds amazing. And I remember sitting at this summer camp one summer and all my friends were going down the water slides and I was sitting at the edge of the pool reading this book, um, like the little nerd that I am. So (laughs) I just always read a bunch of books. I always like to help people with finance. Um, So in college, I studied financial economics. That's my degree. And then I became a financial advisor right after that. But I didn't, I only did that for about a year and then I moved on to something else. But I still had this urge and this desire to make an impact and help people with financial literacy because we're in a financial education crisis. I mean, at no point in our lives are we taught how to manage our money and then we're left as young adults to figure it out all on our own. And that sucks. I I just feel a lot of compassion because it's a little bit unfair. We're not really given the resources we need to succeed. And so that's what I've always been passionate about and what I set out to do. Yeah, that's awesome. And in terms of kind of our current economic situation and everything going on, so is there still opportunity, obviously, to invest in real estate and other passive income streams? And 
can that be done technically with a lot of people and a lot of uncertainty where money's coming from, laid off, fired, that kind of thing? Is there still opportunity in that currently? Yeah, I think there's a ton of opportunity. One thing I always tell people when they're investing for the long term, no matter if it's with the stock market or with real estate, is that you don't want to try to time the market. It's, it doesn't work out most of the time. If you try to buy high and, and or uh, sell high and buy low, none of us can predict the future. We don't know when the market's going to collapse or go back up. Otherwise, we all would have bought, we all would have sold all of our stuff back in February, right? But, but none of us knew that that was coming. So it's always a good time to invest. You know, the best time to invest is literally right now. Um, get started at a young age. And I'll say too, this year has been obviously very unique. One thing that I think we've seen come out of this is I feel like we're always told having a full-time job, you know, being a salaried employee, that means you have job security and income security. But that's not true. If you're 100% dependent on a single source of income, there's nothing secure about that, right? I mean, what happens when you get laid off, your hours get reduced, which we've seen happen this year so much. So I talk about this concept of income diversification, which just means have, having income coming in from multiple different sources. And if you do that, then if one of your income streams is impacted by a recession or, or something else, you're still going to be okay because you have other income streams coming in. So I tell people now is about the best time to start creating multiple streams of income. And I think one of the best ways to do that is by looking into passive income in particular. Yeah, and I think like you mentioned earlier, uh, financial literacy is really important. And it's one of those things that should be taught, I think, in high school or like minimum kind of balancing a checkbook, paying bills, kind of setting money aside for investing in whatever you invest. And I think a lot of those life skills are kind of, you know, just skipped in every part of high school. I mean, it could be obviously a ninth, 10th, 11th, 12th grade already taught throughout all of high school and you have a better preparedness in terms of being able to, you know, cope or adapt or adjust to the real world. I mean, some people go to college, some don't, but I think everybody has to worry about finances and how they're doing in terms of, you know, their financial security. Oh, I 100% agree. It should be taught in all high schools. Maybe I can make that happen. (laughs) Yeah, that would be uh, awesome. I mean, it would have benefited me back in the day. So, but what's one thing that uh, motivates you? They say fear is a great motivator. And for me, that has absolutely been true. Um, When I was growing up, I grew up in a very wealthy county. And just to kind of give you an idea, like people, the kids in my high school, when they turned 16, a lot of them were getting brand new BMWs. Um, My family was not operating that way. We were always under a strict budget. We weren't, we weren't even going on trips, let alone going out to eat at restaurants. Um, We just didn't have those funds in my family. So I grew up feeling like I didn't fit in. And that's not the way you want to feel in middle school and high school. I remember thinking at a pretty young age that I don't, I didn't want to end up like everyone else struggling with money. I didn't want to have to operate on a strict budget for the rest of my life or have to borrow money from family and friends to make it to my next paycheck. I wanted to be different. And I realized that what I did then would either set me up for wealth or for poverty. So that's part of the reason I started taking finance so seriously. And that's definitely what motivates me to succeed is this fear of not having enough money and not being able to take care of myself and my loved ones. 
Now, I have a lot of money now. I'm making a lot of money. So in a lot of ways, I've overcome those fears, but I know subconsciously it probably still continues to impact me. And it's a big reason why I'm so ambitious and I continue to drive forward. Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, you you came into a situation where it was like, you know, you were in handed that. And I think it's that much more um, rewarding. So like, let's say somebody buys you a car. Well, I mean, if you earn it, you save up money and you get that car, it's so much more fulfilling, just like being able to build a business, being able to build multiple income streams. It's a lot better when, you know, you did it, you achieved that than kind of being it being handed to. Now, I'm not saying if people have the means to buy, like you said, their children, a nice car, that that's fine. But I think in terms of uh, me appreciating things and seeing things and developing as, I guess, a human being and, you know, as a person, I think throughout my life, it was always better and more gratifying when I earned something myself. I 100% agree. I'm glad you said that because the from the perspective of the kid, right, I went to college, all of my friends' parents were paying for their college tuition, all of them. I was the only one where I knew I had to put myself through school and pay for my own tuition. And if I hadn't been forced to do that, I wouldn't have stumbled upon the job of selling Cutco knives, for example. I sold knives to pay my way through school. I wouldn't have worked my butt off and learned a bunch of sales skills and really taken school as seriously as I did. So I did. Gra- I graduated debt-free, but I did come out of that with an enormous appreciation, and I wouldn't be the person I am today if if everything was handed to me. Yeah, I agree. That's awesome. So what's one thing you may have seen as a weakness in yourself in the past that you've turned around and utilized as a strength today? So I'm sure a lot of people say this, but I'm a workaholic. (laughs) And it was only a problem for me because I didn't have boundaries, right? Being a workaholic can be a strength or a weakness. It it really hurt me because I didn't have boundaries. I remember when I first quit my job last year and, you know, retired, I was afraid initially that I was going to become this, I don't know, slob and just sleep all day and do nothing and be very lazy. And I guess I just didn't know myself very well because the opposite of that happened. And I went from working 40 hours full time to working 80 hours for myself. And part of that is because I didn't have a clear cut boundary of, okay, I'm going into work at 8 a.m. and I'm leaving the office at 5 p.m. So there's, there's no boundaries of the start and end to the day. Plus, I loved what I was doing, and I still do. So I can do a 12-hour workday and be like, man, that was a great day. I got a lot done. It was fun. It doesn't feel like work to me. But the problem is that that eventually led into burnout. I mean, a lot of entrepreneurs get burnt out, but the burnout then led into anxiety, which led into depression. So my mental health really suffered because I didn't have boundaries for myself. Now... Well, I learned a lot from that, so I'm grateful for that experience, but I now have boundaries. I respect them. I have to be extremely ruthless with my time and with my work schedule and just know where to draw the line of how much I can take on. So now that I do have boundaries, my workaholism has become definitely a strength for me because I've learned to work very efficiently in the time that I do set aside, and I'm able to achieve a lot more in less time. Yeah, I agree. I think it's important to draw those boundaries because, you know, your life changes from now until, you know, a year from now, five years from now, and you, you may still want to get that 
job done or whatever you're doing, you're still passionate about it and you're enthusiastic about it. But like you said, if you're putting in 10, you know, 15 hours a day and, you know, 80 hours a week, sometimes you will eventually get burned out no matter how much you, you know, love what you're doing. So figuring out what that boundary is and then other things, obviously, usually, you know, are neglected. So if you focus all your time on one thing, you don't obviously shuffle the time around in terms of family, friends, or whatever you have going on in terms of having kind of a healthy balance. And entrepreneurship or anything, if you're working for yourself, is a lonely journey. So mental health, like you mentioned, is a big thing. Uh, depression, suicide rates are a lot higher in terms of startup founders, you know, CEOs, executives, that kind of thing. So I think it's important. And even, even with this podcast, I mean, I'm starting to hit like a burnout phase because I have like 80 episodes in queue. Yes, there's no, notoriety and like a lot of traffic and downloads coming in and opportunities to join networks and stuff like that. But it's just like, let me take a break and like reshuffle because even though I am passionate about it, it does get overwhelming. And eventually you need a lifeline. You have to outsource things. You have to delegate. You have to hire somebody or figuring out how to kind of recalibrate your life to make sense. I mean, I'm a foster parent in my personal life as well. We have currently four foster kids from, you know, one month old to five years old. So that has to be shuffled around, you know, running a business, working, focusing on other things. So I think it's important to kind of take a step back and figure out like where that boundary is at that point of your life. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think that it's so easy to become resentful. And the last thing you want to do is become resentful of the demands that are asked of you of, from, from your business or your podcast or your books or your courses. So having those boundaries from the beginning is so essential to your success. Yeah, I agree. And even like you, like I said, if, if you love something, eventually, if you get to a point of burnout, like you're not going to love it anymore. I think they say a lot of chefs that cook for a living, like hate coming home and like cooking in general. I mean, I'm not saying it's everybody, but it's just one of those things where you do something so much. It's like you don't necessarily want to do it outside of work or to the level of the passion that you have, regardless if you're still passionate or not, because I think everybody needs a break and to recalibrate. Because oftentimes you see all these motivational people or motivational videos or quotes like, I'm 100% motivated all the time. That's not accurate. You know, everyone kind of falls or loses kind of uh, focus at one point or another. And I mean, it's important just to get to where you're going and recalibrate and get and focus on the goals that you have in hand, because obviously you can drop off and, you know, become lazy or not passionate about it. But recalibrating, maybe taking some time to yourself taking a break, you know, figuring out if that's still something you want to do or you want to focus your attention somewhere else, I think is really important. Yes, that is such great advice. So what's one piece of advice that you have for the audience, personal or professional? Um, the piece of advice coming to mind, it really has to, it ties into the boundary thing. There's this advice given to, to entrepreneurs that I halfway agree with, and it's, it's that you should say yes to every opportunity that comes your way. I agree with that when you're starting out and you're hustling and you want to get your name out there. I totally agree. Say yes to every opportunity that comes your way. The problem is if you continue to do that, you'll get to a point where you, don't, you just can't handle all of those requests. And soon your calendar is going to fill up with everyone else's priorities but your own. So really the magic happens when you can pinpoint that kind of that shift and learn to actually say no. 
no is a much more powerful word than yes. And if you can strategically and intentionally learn which things to say no to, it's going to open up even greater doors for bigger opportunities in the future. So learn to say no, be viciously protective of your calendar and of your time. And that'll also help you set those boundaries and protect your mental health. Yeah, I agree. I think it's important to say no at times because they lead to uh, bigger yeses because you're going to be stretched thin and kind of start dropping your obligations of what you've promised people. Yeah, and it's easier said than done. Um, I still struggle with this because I get requests all the time, you know, emails with financial questions, people looking for free advice. And my gut is that I want to help them. That's why I do what I do. I don't necessarily need to make money from it anymore. So I always want to help them and I feel guilt turning them away. But what's really helped me learn to say no or redirect them towards another resource is that if I spend my my whole day responding to one-on-one requests, I'm not going to be able to write another book or create another course that could potentially impact hundreds or thousands of people. So that's the way I look at it. I can serve a greater good, but I can't say yes to all those one-on-one requests. Yeah, I agree. Like you say, you know, those no's can impact a greater yes and and may answer the questions those people have with something that you're doing that can impact a lot more people. Yeah, yeah. So it's a work in progress. I'm still learning, but I'll get there. Yep. I mean, it's definitely a journey. Um, I think I think everybody should look at whatever they're trying to achieve as a moving target. So it's not like you you reach somewhere and it's a plateau and like, all right, I'm comfortable, which is fine for some people because that's what happens. But me personally, you know, it's recalibrating, pivoting and looking at a moving target because like that journey is what, you know, makes it great. Looking back what you achieved and what you had to go through, I think it's, you know, part of the process. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I really appreciate you stopping by today. Can you let the audience know how they can find you? Yeah, for sure. Thanks. So both of my books are on Amazon in ebook, paperback, and audio. They're called Money Honey and Passive Income Aggressive Retirement. Um, you can find me on Instagram, Money Honey Rachel. And then Roman, what I'd love to do for your listeners is if anyone wants to download my Passive Income Starter Kit, I'll give that for free. So you can go to moneyhoneyrachel.com slash bonus. Awesome. Thanks again for stopping by. Yes. Thanks for having me. This podcast has been brought to you by Nova Zora Digital. Find out how Nova Zora Digital can help your company grow online. Learn more at NovaZoraDigital.com. Until next time, all you digital savages.